Good morning, my beloved. I love you guys so much. No, uh, you know, uh, thank you. Appreciate that. I do. I just want to tell you that. I want to keep reminding you that it's real. And it's not something that I manifested in my decision to love you. It's the Holy Spirit has been poured into my heart. Therefore, I love you. Not that you're not lovable, but anyway, I'm just digging myself in deeper here. I just wanted to, I wanted to share something that the, the Lord spoke to me this morning that was so comforting. And I know that it's for me, and I am certain that it's for some of you too. And you can always be sure that what you're hearing is from the Lord if it's from the Bible. <laughs> that's, the, that's the word of God. And I just want to say again, through this trial, throughout this last week and a half, I have been able to withdraw from the Bible. You know, there are only two things that will last for all eternity. God's word and God's people. And so if you invest in God's word and in God's people, then when tragedy hits your life, you will be able to withdraw. And I am so grateful for the word of God. I am so grateful that I have spent time in the word of God. I'm not, wow, way to go, good Christianity. I'm saying it's my life source. It's not because I'm so incredible. It's because God is so incredible and his word is so incredible. And it is my daily bread for real. So this morning, this was what I had for breakfast. <laughs> this is Psalm 121. Just received this from the, from the Holy Spirit. I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. I'm going to read that again. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. So that's good news. That's a relief for me. And this morning, as we mourn, and as Angela mentioned, we're we're mourning, but you know, Eric would not want us to stop. Eric would not want us to just, just give up or quit. So this morning, we're going to hear from two amazing, incredible, brilliant, intelligent, awesome magnificent, godly, incredible. Did I already use that word? Okay. <laughs> Men of God. They are our pastor, Stu, and his lovely wife, Jendi, one of my dearest friends. Love you. 
and Stuart's pastor, Pastor Daniel, who is my father in the faith. And he came out here this week just to be with me and my family. And now that I've heard their message, I know what they're going to talk about. And now I can hype it and say it is amazing. It is a word from the Lord. And God has not forsaken us. He has not taken Eric away for no reason. And this morning, I think both Stuart and Daniel will bring some illumination to some of the questions that we may be having. So if you would just join me in warmly welcoming Stuart Nice. Pastor Stuart. His name is Stuart A. Nice, pastor. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. You're welcome. Let me, I, I want to pause for a minute. I, think, uh, I first want to uh, welcome American Fork. I guess this is the first time we're streaming from uh, the campus here in Draper. Welcome all of you who are down there. Uh, hi. I can't see you, but I know you're there. It's awesome. Well, I, I wanted to pause and, and take a look because every time I, I speak in, in a church other than my own, I like to see the eyes of the people and realize the treasure that God has placed in every one of them. And you guys are very special to me, of course, because you're, you're like my grandkids. <laughs> yeah, people always say, if I knew grandkids were so good, I would have skipped the, the first part. Uh, I'm a grandfather now, so I can actually say that. Uh, I also wanted to, something came to my mind as Jody was up there, and I, I, I thought about saying it yesterday, but I'm going to say it today. Uh, whenever we thought about Eric, we didn't think about Eric. We, we always said Eric and Jody. Eric and Jody, they were, they are inseparable. And Eric and I used to joke, you know, how we had married way beyond our station in life. (laughs) And the the gift that God gave Eric in Jody is one of the big pieces that made him the great man that you love to follow. And you are now given the great woman that God has now called you to follow. And uh, believe it or not, the best is yet to come. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to take anything away from Eric, of course, and his legacy, but you are blessed to have a wonderful pastor who loves God with all her heart, has a passion. And, and like with all of us, God, he, he doesn't want us to be clones of someone. I, you know, I have a, an incredible pastor, and I, I, for years I, when I was pastoring, I'm thinking, what would Daniel think? What would Daniel think? You know? And then I'll, I realized I don't have his brain. <laughs> we, we could do a Vulcan mind meld sometime, but it, it just, and then one day I realized I have to be me. And I'm all I've got to bring to the party. And, and we would love to be other people. But Jesus has uniquely designed each and every one of you to be who you are to fulfill your purpose in this life. And so, yes, Jody's not Eric, thank God. <laughs> 
But Jody brings something to the table that you, you have not yet fully experienced. And I, I just want to, to say that to you uh, in case you are wondering. Uh, one of the things that came to my mind, and as I was speaking with some people, uh, of course, any transition, all, all change is first loss. And radical change, like the change of a leader, especially suddenly, is, is so disorienting. We, we're not sure, ah, what, you know, where, who am I? Where am I? What, what do I do next? And I know that those are the first feelings that come to us. It's like, what's going to happen now? And I, I was reflecting on this as I was sharing with uh, one of the young men in the church was that this is the exact same feeling that they felt when, when Jesus was crucified, that the disciples were afraid and, and they, they, they were disoriented. And even though Jesus said, hey, don't worry about it, um, I'm going to rise in a couple of days, they, they didn't get that part. Uh, all they got was something, uh, something big is happening here. And so... I want to I want to read a scripture regarding that real quick before I jump into my uh, my message. It's, it says uh, in John twenty nineteen and twenty two. So when it was evening on that first day, the first day of the week, and when the doors uh, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, "Peace be with you." And when he had said this. He showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. For as the Father has sent me, also I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The first word the Lord would have for you this morning is, Peace. Be with you. I know your world seems shaken and upside down, but this has not phased God. Instead, he comes with his peace and he speaks to us and says, receive my Holy Spirit. When uh, Pastor Ira had said that Jody would like me to speak this Sunday, I was first hesitant. In fact, I said, I have to think about it. And then a couple seconds later, I texted Ira and I said, of, of course, of course, I'll speak. What, what am I thinking? This is the perfect weekend for me to be here. Because I, I, I think that if, if Eric had more time and knew that he was going to pass, he probably would have called me and said, can you make sure that you help my people navigate this? Because I was that person for Eric. He had many times when he was confused and didn't know what was happening and different things were happening in the church as it was growing and he would get discouraged and he would call me and and say hey what do I have to do what can I do what do you know <laughs> he'd always start with the what do you know uh and I, and uh, unfortunately I didn't get all the wisdom uh <laughs> and so I didn't know what to do but I know the thing to do and so I would take Eric and say brother we know the Lord. We know that he has great plans for us. Let's stop and pray and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then let's take some steps forward. And he was wonderful that being able to just set and say, that's right. The Lord who called me there is the one that's going to take me forward. And it's the same thing with you this morning, that though you might feel fear or disorientation, the Lord comes and he says, peace However, 
I want to fill you with my spirit so that you will know how to take each step forward. Amen? The good news is, is that God had already put so many things in place. Because God knew what was happening here. And I just, you know, in some churches, I've been a divisional superintendent, and sometimes there's a pastoral change that happens very quickly, and the people don't, you know, it's like it's total loss. But you have a great pastor, you have a great pastoral team, you have a great group of elders and council people, and you have a plan, you've got life, world, dream, you've got a, a, a way to get where you need to go. It's not like, oh, now we have to make everything up, but we don't have Eric here. No, Eric left his touch on everything in this church. So you can actually take a deep breath, everybody. Say, God's got it, and he's going to carry us forward. Amen? Amen. So the reason I thought this was so exciting for me to be here today, because one, I want to help, help you process, you know, you, you can still grieve and think forward. Sometimes it, it blanks our mind out, but, but, but we know that God has left the rest of us here on purpose. You know, I, I used to say that, you know, some, some, uh, some pastors, they kind of teach, it's like, you just need to get saved. You need to get saved. You need to get saved because you don't, you don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. How many want to go to heaven? How many want to go to heaven instead of hell? Uh, okay, that's a good choice. Okay, good. But, but that's not the end of it. If, 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 if it was all about going to heaven, then he would, as soon as you say, hey, Jesus, I receive you in my heart, and all, woo, boom, they're gone. It's like, the church is empty. What happened? It's like, well, that guy got saved, and all we got is a bunch of sinners here. <laughs> what do we got? Okay. But that is not what happened. He said, great. Heaven is a destination that's already been paid for. Your ticket's paid for. It's in your pocket. You're ready to go. But now, let's share the good news. Let's love like it makes a difference. Let's worship with all our heart. Right? I, 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 I'm sure that Eric, if, if, he, if he was uh, like speaking to my ear right now, he'd say, yeah, don't forget. When you're worshiping, Worship with all your heart. Worship with all your mind. Worship with all your strength, with all your soul, with everything that's within you. See, he's in the presence of God right now doing what he likes the most. He's not doing a half-hour service. (laughs) Right? He's going for the the long one, kind of like us. We've got two preachers here today. Uh, Right? But he's not, you know, he doesn't have his hands in his pockets. He's doing this. Ah, yes. Jesus, the one I wanted the most every day of my life. Now I'm here in your presence. Ah, this is awesome. You guys, can't wait till you join me. Amen? Amen. So, Worship with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know he's saying that. He lived passionately because he knew the reality of his future. See, the, the spiritual realm isn't out there somewhere. Heaven's not out there somewhere. You know, we're, we're in the kingdom of God. So uh, there was a, a particular thought that came to my mind, though, because we're not stopping as a people. The adventure is like, okay, the adventure's over. <laughs> you know, wait around, you know, see what happens next. No, the adventure is 
part two or part three. It's probably part 16 because I know the way Eric thought. It's like, we're going here. Oh, no, we're over here. Oh, we're over there. We're over here. Uh, but this is a new day. We cannot go back. We have to go forward. Okay? There is no going back. We would like to. We would give anything for another day to be led by, by Eric. I would. Right? We all would. But that's not an option. Our option is now being filled with the Holy Spirit and moving forward ourselves. So the, the certain scripture that came to mind a, a whole bunch, I thought, man, I just need a you know, three-week series here. Um, but it, it's, it, it was in, uh, in Matthew. It's the only place it's found in the Gospels. Jesus said a, a peculiar thing, and I want to speak it over you and uh, talk about it for just a few minutes and then uh, hand over the reins. But Jesus, uh, when he was commissioning his disciples, which is what I want to do today, you have been called by the Lord to fulfill your purpose in the good news. And so Jesus, he says this. He says, uh, this is uh, Matthew 10, 40 and 41. He says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Each and every one of you have received the ministry of Eric Van Rie. And along with that ministry, he imparted his life, his ministry, his heart to you. Just as a, a father imparts to his children, as parents impart to their children, so he imparted to you. But he imparted more than just his wisdom, his knowledge, his, his understanding of God. He imparted his very self. And you received that. How many of you had received that from the, Eric? And the, the, Jesus says these curious, this curious thing. He says that if someone says, I, will, I receive you, then something of a reward comes along with that. And you did that. And likewise with Jody here, you've now said, I am open to now receiving you as, as such a prophet. But it doesn't come if you don't take hold of it. The word that Jesus uses here is someone who receives a prophet is one that just takes hold of it. Now, uh, last week I, I'd watched uh, a, a few of uh, Eric's messages. And uh, partially just I wanted to hear his voice. And uh, I was listening. I was hoping he was, he was going to say something different. But he really just had one message. Go for it with your whole life. And in fact, the last message I believe that he, he spoke to you guys was very much that. He was standing on the side of here saying, go for it. Go for it. If you're just here to... to play church or like the music or whatever, find another place. Now, he can say that. I won't say that. No, stay here. <laughs> He's like, I, you know, I would say I don't preach to come back, but I do. You know, please invite me. Um, <laughs> but I want to encourage you to go for it. But the way you go for it is you got to take hold of it. You can't passively sit there and go, yeah, he, he really taught. He was a really great teacher. No. When he says, go for it, you've got to do something, okay? The second part of that is, is the reward. 
And this impartation is something that's both natural and spiritual. That your pastor, Eric, left you a spiritual heritage, something to draw upon that's not just, oh yeah, that I got the teaching, kind of like a professor. He imparted something that is eternal to each and every one of you. And I want you to embrace that, but don't just say, now I've got it. But to now act upon it like our pastor Eric acted upon it. I want to release the microphone now to another prophet that I pray you will say, I receive (laughs) the prophet's reward because you're about to get the prophet's reward. Pastor Daniel. Okay, good morning, everyone. My, my wife, when we heard of uh, Eric getting his final reward and embarking on this perpetual worship service, I mean, it just goes forever, and everybody around is a musical genius, and they're going to have to be singing. They're going to sing forever and ever, so there's actually a call for songwriters. Now, people like me, it, 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 it would take so much more than a miracle that I could compose a tune. It's like miraculous that I can sing a song. But Eric is up there singing, writing songs, and out of control. Oh, and by the way, he's also falling down all the time. <laughs> Do you know that? It's not a coordination issue. <laughs> it's that, it's that so, so we're all going to be like worshiping, and then, boom, another revelation, another understanding of God. Bam, we go down. Pull ourselves back up. Bam, we're down again. Pull ourselves back up. Bam, we're down again. Because it just will be, oh, my goodness. And you'll actually be able to say, oh, my God. <laughs> So anyway, when we heard that he was starting this perpetual uh, choir that he's singing in now, my wife and I had exactly the same thought. I happened to be on the East Coast. She was still home in Santa Cruz. And uh, I thought, I don't know why. I think I'm just supposed to go. Go there and just hang out. And she thought it so strongly. She said, can you change your ticket and fly directly there from Washington, D.C. on Monday? It's not like I don't want to see you. She didn't say that. I'm just inserting that in the conversation in my mind. I don't know why. Except both of us felt God was up to something wonderful. Tragic. But wonderful. So each day as I call home, I say, I had nothing to say today. Because there is nothing to say. But if I keep saying nothing, somehow it seems to help. Eric loved the Bible. Jody loves the Bible. Stuart and Jendi love the Bible. Brent and Pat, who started the church that they took over, they loved the Bible. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that it gives me an understanding that is so far beyond what the natural can grab a hold of. 
And when I find myself in situations as I am, as you are, where you're trying to put together something so wickedly sad and something so indescribably wondrous, it's like, how does this work? Well, the Bible offers to us fantastic patterns. And as you become more familiar with the patterns in this book, it's like, oh, 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 I get it. And it is a little bit difficult sometimes to explain it to everyone, but, but there it is. And so I want to offer you a couple of patterns that have really settled my soul in the midst of all of this in the hopes that a little nothing might actually help you. One of the most remarkable patterns that we see in the Bible is that whenever a great leader is no longer the leader through death, God actually appoints a mourning period. Generally, it could be a month, could be a bit longer. And it's as though God wants to say to us, to you, I understand how meaningful Eric was in your life. I actually arranged it that way. Because this thing that we call family, do you know the Bible says it was God's idea from the beginning. And he is the one who sets the solitary in families. He is the one who appoints us to repair the devastations of many generations. And how many in this room are still living out the the, the ungodly legacy, the distorted things that went on in generations before us? And funny thing about a family, it has a father, it has a mother. And if it was God's idea to have this thing called family, His idea to have something like a father, and in fact, you know that when you and I first come to realization, He loves me, God loves me, and we say yes to Him, do you know the very first thing His Holy Spirit teaches your spirit to cry? Daddy. And for many of you, Eric was father, a spiritual father, but no less a father. And the fact that you feel stripped, you feel confused, you feel, that's God's plan. Because it's a testimony of just how potent How good a tool that Eric was in the hand of God. You're supposed to miss him. And God has spoken through the ages to his people. There is a season of mourning. So for me, at least, that enables me to be so sad. And we're all trying to encourage each other. Oh, praise the Lord. It'll be just fine. (laughs) Amen. 
But we don't have to be Christians who are trying to get each other beyond the grief. God appoints grief. So the things that Stu said, that I've said, they're kind of like pre-married counseling. (laughs) You know, I did a lot of that through the years. It was kind of (laughs) like... Because right there you are, you're the preacher person, you got all of this understanding for what can really trip up a marriage from all the books you've read, right? No personal experience, but I read a lot of books. And so you're going to like tell this couple who are just sidling up to each other, looking each other in the eye. Um, You're going to tell them that sometimes marriage can be challenging. They're like, whatever. (laughs) They're not listening. So we should do a two years after counseling. Knock yourself out, get married, you'll be back. (laughs) So, I'm just offering you a little pre-married counseling. You won't remember anything that I've said. It's okay. Maybe later you go back and listen and realize, oh, wow, what Pastor Stu said, what that gray-haired guy said, I want to go for it. Another pattern that we see in the Bible is, is it's a book of generations, You know, all of the genealogies, so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and the only thing I ever think is weird names. (laughs) But if you just add up the the years, oh my goodness, the so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, by the time you've even got eight or ten of those names, you're dealing with several hundred years. And there's no mention usually of the specific human element, the circumstances that surrounded how so-and-so is now fourth son of the second son of the... You know. But they died. They left people behind. Every one of them, I'm sure, was attended with tremendous disruption in the lives of people who loved them. But this is a church of generations. This is a book of generations. And so we have stories like Abraham, who was called to leave his father so that he could become a father of many nations. The story of Moses, who was appointed by God to take people a certain distance, and then, then Joseph, or excuse me, Joshua, who was going to take over for him. The stories of David, the great sweet psalmist of Israel, who got the blueprint for the temple, and he's so excited about building it until the prophet comes and says, actually, it'll be your son who builds what God gave you a vision for. And David didn't go, oh, what am I, chopped liver? He didn't say, oh, that's not fair. Do you know what David said when God told him that he was a part of a multi-generation work of God? 
He said, oh, my goodness, who am I? I mean, you're talking to me as though I am a man of great stature, somebody important. Because David understood the single greatest compliment that God can ever give to a human. The the, the most spectacular regard that God can give is to speak to a person about that person's offspring. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that Eric was spoken to by God and spoken to as a man of great standing because God had a plan for his offspring. In the book of 2 Kings, if you wish to uh, turn there in your Bible or whatever you do now, you pressure press. <laughs> it's found in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. And this morning, uh, Stu and I were just kind of checking base by text, you know, like, what are you going to talk on? What are you going to talk on? You want to go first? You want to go first? You'd be surprised all the things that preacher people say behind the scenes. And so I said, hey, here's the text that I'm thinking of. And, and Stu texts me back saying, okay, that's funny, because it's exactly the same text that I was just making notes on as I was thinking about this morning. Kind of like God has something in control. And it's a very interesting story of Elijah transferring his mantle of spiritual leadership to Elisha. Number two, I hold up one and two because I always get Elijah, Elisha confused. I just know one was first and the other guy was second. And I offer this to you because part of my prophet mantle of why I thought I was coming here was to say to all of you in so many words, carry on. And I wanted to say to Jody, carry on, carry on as pastor. And sometimes when there is a situation like this, the movement wants to bring in some other pastor, I said, you you carry on, be the pastor. And when I'm telling her this and telling the church council this, they're kind of looking at me like, "Uh uh-huh, that news is so yesterday. Because... You guys have kind of already done that. And I thought, okay, no problem, because the Bible says every fact should be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So call me number two witness, okay. And then I found out that the supervisor had already said to your pastor, you're going to continue to be the pastor. So now I'm relegated to witness number three, (laughs) which is better than being witless number one. All right. So I get it that you get it. But do you mind if I still share with you this really interesting passage of of how can I kind of grab a hold of, as Pastor Stu was sharing with you, how can I grab a hold of what God has in mind for my future? So here's the story. The Elijah, that would be number one, he gets a word from the Lord and knows that his time on the planet is very limited. And he's not sure exactly when he's going to go. He just knows that it's soon. And so he says to his, his protege, his disciple, Elisha, number two, 
uh, hey, thanks very much for the memories. I really appreciate all the work that you've done for me, but I'm going to be leaving soon, so by all means, you're free to go. And, and Elisha, who's a very clever man, he says in so many words, not on your sweet life. I don't know what's going to happen to you. I just know that I am going to dog your tail until you're gone. I am not going to use the fact of your imminent departure as kind of excuse for me to lay back and become a slacker. I'm going to get everything I can get from you until the end. So Elijah says, okay. And they head off to a town called Gilgal. And once again, Elijah says to his young friend, hey, really, it's okay, thanks very much, but really, God is calling me on, and you don't have to go with me. Elisha says the same thing, I'm going with you. So they go to another town, the town of Bethel. Same routine that goes on, but in this case, there is a group of 50 prophets. And so the prophets, they get a revelation And they want to say to Elisha, hey, have you heard the word of the Lord? Elisha's, huh? They said, guess what? Your master is going to be taken from you soon. Just wanted you to know you're losing your master. Mm, It's my revelation. And so Elisha says one of the funnest things in the Bible. There's a lot of fun things in this book. A lot depends on how you read it. If you read it like this, you don't get them. But if you read it like this, oh my goodness, out of control. Anyway. Anyway, Elisha turns to these prophets and says, zip it, shut up, be quiet. Because he knew that they were using their revelation as kind of an emphasis, you don't need to keep being so closely discipled. You could join us and get revelation. And Elisha says, I'm not buying that. I am going to stick close to this man. So they go to another city. Guess what? There's another school of prophets. Mm, Thus says the Lord. You're going to lose your master soon. And the implication is, so you might as well just resign yourself to the fact that he's going to be gone and start mapping out a little territory in your life that you can live without your master. Back up, buddy. (laughs) Get small and comfortable and get used to life without your leader. Elisha says, shut up. So then they go down to the Jordan River. And At the Jordan River, there's a little conversation between these two people. But the big deal at the river is Elijah takes off his mantle, strikes the water, it parts, and they walk across to the other side. Now the prophets don't go along. The prophets are looking through binoculars at a distance at all of this happening. Simple lesson, friends. And be careful in this mystically inclined spiritual world. There are some people who say, oh, by personal revelation, you can get everything you need to know. 
Can I just tell you something? There are places in the kingdom of God you will never get unless you're being closely discipled by another person. Eric was a passionate disciple. You heard the story yesterday, I think, Pastor Brent shared that when Eric first came to Christ, I don't know, the image you used, like a giant vacuum cleaner just sucking out everything. (laughs) Stu will tell you the same. I kind of pictured Eric more as a body leech. (laughs) I don't know, maybe he didn't find enough nourishment up here. He just latched on to me and like, and sucked everything. So for a short while after, you know... The, the, the left and right, this part was fairly robust, as robust as I've ever been. <laughs> and the other side was like a totally emaciated weakling. Because Eric didn't just like, well, I hope somebody notices me. <laughs> Maybe I could learn something from you. No, he, he didn't stand on ceremony. He just crowded you and said, I want to stay so close And dear friends, that is what gave him the oomph and the power to have so much effect in your life. If we decide that Eric was just so special, then nobody in this room can hope to do what he did. But the only thing he was doing were the works of Christ that when Jesus made his transition, he said, I promise you this because I'm going to send you of my spirit. You're going to end up doing greater works, greater in number because there's more of you. What enabled Eric to affect your life and to change you is because he was a man who frequently put himself on the potter's wheel a man who backed into the hands of others that he trusted and knew and said, would you work on me? Would you help me? Would you shape me? And just like a billiard ball that gets knocked, he knocked into you. But if you and I try to be that ball that just, okay, I can do this, like those little hamster balls, you know, Okay, I'm going to run forward. The the, the best you're going to do is just tap, tap against another ball. The chance of you knocking anybody in a pocket is like Zippo. We are meant to be propelled by men and women who have been propelled by men and women who have been propelled. And if you want to go somewhere, then be like Elisha and says, I'm not leaving you because what I see in you is a propulsion that I want. God does not play some perverse form of duck, duck, goose when we're born. He doesn't go around, you know, duck, 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 woo-hoo-hoo, special goose. We are not just a circle of nobodies that the special people can run around. We are testimonies 
Oh, man, he touched me. And if he touched me, there's hope for you. So then Elisha, or Elijah finally says to his friend, okay, what do you want? You've followed me all the way, and I've tested you several times. Dear friends, you will be tested to become comfortable Christians, otherwise known as spiritual slackers. You will be tempted to back away because of what happened to your leader. But Elisha says, I want a double portion from you. And Elijah says, oh, sweetness, you couldn't you ask for something more simple than that? But I tell you what, I can't really decide who gets a double portion. But if you stick so closely to me that when the spiritual dimension parts and those chariots of fire and those horses come to pick me up, if you're that close and you see what I see, you'll get a double portion. And sure enough, Elisha cries out, Oh, I I see them, I see them. And from the sky, this mantle falls to the ground. Elisha looks at it. Very interesting, the first thing that he does. Before he picks up the mantle, he takes his own clothes. He tears them in two because he knows a mantle is not designed to fit on the outfit I'm already wearing. That if I'm going to receive spiritual promotion, if I'm going to be used more of the Lord, He doesn't just kind of add on. He always invites you and me to take whatever place, whatever position, whatever, whatever role that we have and throw it away so we can put on another mantle. And Elisha knew if this mantle doesn't fit, I'm going to be bare-chested for God the rest of my life. My question to you, what do you have to give up? What do you have to surrender? What place do you have to almost, almost physically remove yourself from? Because the elevator that you've been on is like in one of these giant high-rises. It only goes up to floor 40. And if you want to go to floor 80, you got to get in the elevator, go all the way back down to the lobby, and change elevators. I want to conclude this morning with um, an image that's in my mind. I... I can't draw you to a scripture that uses this image, but if you will allow me, I think it will be helpful to you. It is the the picture of a phlanx, a phlanx, not the flank, but the phlanx, an ancient Greek, Macedonian, Persian uh, battle formation that would generally be made up of, oh, anywhere to 40 or 50 soldiers across the front of this large rectangle, each of those soldiers has their shield locked to the shoulder, this, this, yeah, to the shield of the person next to him. You're kind of getting it. I don't know what this is. I think that's holding a shield. Say, so let's say there's 
40 of them going across the front. But the really interesting thing about this flanks is that behind each of those soldiers, and they were the best fighters in the whole group, there would be anywhere from 15 to 20 men lined up directly behind each of those in the front. And so the warfare that took place in those days was not so much about mass killing, because victory would be declared on a field when either this army or that army broke ranks and fled the field. So the entire contest, imagine the pressure of 20 men behind you and the whole goal. It's like a a, a tug of war in reverse. I'm pushing against you and the 20 men behind you, 20 behind me, 20 behind, 20 behind, 20 behind. And so the actual change of territory was incremental. And the steps that were being taken were not giant strides, not not some heroic person racing out on their own. It was little tiny baby steps scrunching in the dirt, leaning forward, making almost no progress because the only goal was to get a shield on the opposing force to go down because once that front soldier is down then all the pressure behind me puts me into the flanks. And with my sword, I can chop like this, and everything disintegrates almost completely. So in the warfare of ancient Greece, Macedonia, Persia, you could almost say within an army, the real contest was between the courage of the best fighters on the front and the cowardice or the fear or the reluctance of anyone in the whole army. Because no matter how strong I am as a fighter, it's not about my individual strength. It's about the 20 men behind me. And if one of them takes a vacation, if one of them, we've been at this a long time, Suddenly, it's 20 against 19. And generally, it was not the front soldier who fell. It was somewhere back in the ranks that people fled the field. You may remember in Ephesians where it says, having done all to stand. And that's what we're to do, is to stand and make the smallest steps forward. Well, as a part of all of this, you may have even heard of the, the, the war dance, the war songs of ancient Greece. And how I could best describe them is that they were giant choreographed dances, Imagine 400 men with their shields, spears, javelins, and swords conducting this giant maneuver. This was me dancing. I'm not, I'm not so... And, and they're, they're spinning and turning and singing a song, but all of the steps of this multi-person dance were arranged to teach maneuvers how to turn everyone to the right, how to turn everyone to the left. 
But the most significant lesson of these war dances was teaching how the person in the second rank could transition with the weary fighter in the first rank. Because no matter what a great fighter you are, you just wear out. Maybe six minutes, maybe, maybe a dozen minutes, and then you are too weak to keep up from the pressure behind and in front. So part of this elaborate dance was some form of spinning so that the front row could spin out and away while the second row could spin up and the shield never went down. Eric choreographed a gorgeous dance. And very likely many of you found yourself, wow, this is cool, I love this dance stuff. And didn't realize that all along it was designed to teach you to step up to the next rank and to pivot in such beautiful timing and harmony that this flanks known as the adventure can push against the things of evil and darkness and carry the field. So my charge to you don't believe that because you're number 18 in the rank that like whatever it's always the same people up front don't imagine that nobody will really even notice if I'm not here don't imagine that there is nothing for you to do because I promise you this as time goes along Eric is not the only front shield man that we lose in the kingdom. It is still a church, the church of Christ, from generation to generation. Let us take our place and let us train others to take our place. And that is the greatest way that you could ever say thank you to Eric and to Jesus for what they have done in your life. God bless you. God bless you. Wasn't that powerful? Thank you, guys. Thank you. So you can see I come from good stock. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Anyway, I love you guys. And, um, you know, again, I just want to reiterate, we are going to take our time as we mourn. As Daniel mentioned, there is an appointed time. The Lord knows what that appointed time is. I don't. I've never done this before. So but he knows. But again, give each other grace to grieve. Everyone's going to grieve very personally and very individually. And I want to say again, and I know we're way over and I apologize. Like Eric would say, kind of, but not really. Um, I'm hurting, but that doesn't diminish your hurt too. You've lost your pastor and your friend and your daddy. So I just want you to know I don't in any way diminish your hurt just because of what I'm going through. So you don't need to apologize to me if you break down or if you're in pain or you want to just talk. You don't need to apologize to me. I'm not, 
I don't struggle with boundaries. If I can't do it, I'll just say, I can't do this. And you need to respect my boundaries. Okay? That wasn't a rebuke. It kind of sounded like one. (laughs) Sorry. So I love you, and we're moving on. We're carrying on. We're going to honor the Lord, right? Love on each other.